Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. with technology with tech stuff from howstuffworks.com hey there and welcome to tech stuff i'm your host executive producer jonathan strickland at howstuffworks.com happy friday the 13th this episode's originally going out on october 13th 2017 and I was originally just going to publish a regular tech stuff episode, but then my producer extraordinaire Ramsey came up to me and said, hey, I uh, I put some feelers out with some of the folks who are behind the development for Friday the 13th, the game. Would you be interested in talking with them so we could have a special Friday the 13th episode? And I thought, I've never done a Friday the 13th episode. I've done Halloween episodes and I've done other holiday episodes, but never Friday the 13th. And I thought, this is an opportunity I cannot pass up. And so what you are about to hear is an interview that I conducted with Chuck Brungart, the CEO of Ilphonic. That's the company that developed Friday the 13th, the game. And he was very forthcoming and very straightforward about the development of Friday the 13th, the game, the challenges that his company faced, and the reactions of that. I mean, it's it's a very honest uh, interview, which I appreciate. So I hope you guys enjoy this, and I will join you again on the other side of the interview. 
I'd like to welcome Chuck Brungart to the show. Chuck, thank you so much for joining Tech Stuff. Thanks for having me. And Chuck is a co-founder of Ilphonic LLC. It's a company that developed Friday the 13th, the game. Uh, obviously, that's uh, you know, there's the relationship between game developers and game publishers, something that I think a lot of people who aren't really familiar with the way video games work, they kind of conflate the two. Of course, there are some companies that are both developers and publishers, and that makes it even more confusing. But you are the guys who actually went and started making a game that uh, now is Friday the 13th. As I understand it, when you were first looking at developing a game in this space, uh, it was it was certainly inspired by properties like uh, Friday the 13th or something like Sleepaway Camp. But uh, it was, uh, from what I understand, it, it was a, a, a kind of an original IP at that point. The licensing agreement came later. Is that correct? Uh, yes, definitely. And really kind of how it all started was, um, you know, Gun Media, uh, who's our publisher on this uh, project, they actually kind of came up with the original concept. And it was, uh, you know, a game that they always wanted to make that they were kicking around. And I remember I got the call from uh, Wes, who's their CEO, one day and said, hey, I'm, you know, looking for a, a developer to develop this game. And, you know, it's uh, it's called Summer Camp. And at the first thing I thought of was I was like, well, I don't know if you did too much research about us, but we don't make kids games. So uh, I'm not sure if we can help you. And he's like, well, let me show you this trailer. It's actually called uh, Slasher Volume 1 Summer Camp. And I think immediately I got it. Like, you know, it 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 kind of oozed Friday the 13th, even though it wasn't yet that. Um, it was, you know, it was called Summer Camp at the time. And um, But they brought on a lot of the original people from Friday the 13th, like, um you know, like Harry uh, Manfredini and, uh, um, you know, like just kind of all the different guys, Tom Savini. And I think they, you know, they were all talking about making this game. And it was really just a game that they wanted to make from growing up and watching these films. And uh, so I think that was always the tricky part is like, you know, what do we do uh, for the killer um, if we can't really, you know, have the hockey mask and all that. So, uh, so yeah, when we were approached eventually, it, kind of all made sense and, and really tied together, but we were originally moving forward on a prototype and had, you know, put out some uh, some material that we were kind of showing early of what summer camp was to hopefully build interest within the consumers and the press, um, but then that led to, uh, you know, Sean Cunningham and, and his estate seeing it and uh, approaching um, Gunn and us about it. And it was such a clever idea. It's it's an example of a type of gameplay, the asymmetric approach. Uh, and for people who are not familiar with that, asymmetric means that you typically have at least two teams or or two parties of players. Uh, and in this case, we're talking about a single player taking on the role of Jason Voorhees, obviously the antagonist of the Friday the 13th series, the iconic character who, through parts two and on, is the main antagonist. Obviously, if anyone is listening, I know Mrs. Voorhees was the bad guy in part one. Everybody knows that. But from part two forward, we have Jason. And asymmetric means that you have one person acting as Jason Voorhees. You have the other players acting as uh, camp counselors. 
and the the goals are for one side to escape that would be the counselors to get away or potentially even to take down Jason although that is particularly difficult as is warranted by the mythology of the movies uh or of course Jason's uh goal is to eliminate as many if not all the counselors as he possibly can and uh it, it to me it's interesting because it it combines elements of gameplay that i find really compelling. You have the competitive aspect of Jason versus the counselors, but you also have co-op with the point of the counselors. You know, if they if they work together, they stand a much better chance of having success at least for some of them than they would if they all go lone wolf. Yeah, definitely. And I think what was so crazy about the concept is when I first heard it, I'm like, "Oh, that that just works, right? It works in in, you know, almost a real-life scenario where uh, well, you know, everyone wants to know, would you survive a horror film? Like, what would you do? And I think early tests, it was kind of funny because, um, you know, Jason's so powerful and, and that's definitely intentional. And I think the, the asymmetrical aspects behind it, we worked on other asymmetrical games in the past, and that was one of the reasons why Gunn reached out to us. Um, but we didn't really, um, you know, a lot of times it was trying to make it balanced and, and, and you know, trying to make one person or one thing against multiple people balanced was very tricky and it could also sometimes uh, ruin a bit of the fun. But when we kind of threw that out the window, I mean, there's still balance that goes into this stuff. But when we realize, like, you know, Jason is going to be able to take on, um, you know, more than one person at a time, it really started uh, fitting and it kind of essentially created almost two games where you're either uh, the powerful Jason hunting people down and, and killing them and, um, you know, stalking and kind of just all the different elements involved in that. And then as counselors, you're, you're getting away and you kind of have those, uh, big horror elements and everything like that where, you know, you're, you're scared, you're trying to hide. And we really just saw everyone kind of playing into what happens in horror films. Like when, you know, you're always like, Oh, don't go in that room alone or, Oh, you know, if you're with your friends, are you going to stick around and like help them? But, you know, everyone just kind of scatters and runs all different directions, and that's usually when, when all the bad stuff happens. So it was really, uh, it was really interesting because you have the human element, and I think that um, that power, you know, the power struggle or power balance, it, it it really worked well with asymmetrical gameplay. And I think, you know, there's so many things you could kind of apply that to uh, when it comes to either other films or other ideas as well. Oh, sure. And, and it's interesting. It's very, in a way, it's affirming and in another way, terrifying to see that the tropes of the yeah. horror film play out in actual gameplay. Because I've, I've, I've watched more than my share of let's plays in this, in this game. And I've played a couple where, uh, as you say, it is more frequently than not, as soon as the game starts, you just see the Kelsers scatter like ants. <laughs> and, yeah. and immediately you're thinking like, yeah, well, we, true. We're, we're all going to get picked off one by one now. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, I am a little curious about this because uh, as you say, you know, you, you, you didn't have to worry. I mean, obviously balance is always something you've got to think about. Otherwise, if you create a game where it is impossible 
for one team to win, then really you've just created a murder simulator. <laughs> There's not really any way to to yeah. to get out of it. So you have to figure out, all right, well, what are the what are the parameters here for victory on both sides, and uh, and how can we make sure that if you are not the killer, that you're still having a good time? Can you talk a little bit about what that process was like, about just kind of finding where that balance was? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, to be to be honest, I feel like it, there's a bit of a pendulum swing, um, you know, and even uh, you know, sometimes we'll patch and we think we're we we take a lot of feedback in from the community what they like, what they don't like. So, um, you know, I guess to back up and kind of start from the beginning, we did prototype really um, early on, and I think you know the biggest thing we found is it was really fun to play Jason, but it wasn't fun to play counselors. Um, so we spent a lot of time on the counselor angle and, you know, uh, we have a lot of things like fear and the more you get scared, there's things that happen, the screen darken, you, uh, tend to lose your HUD. Um, you know, there's just an alteration that goes on, um, like visually as well. And then there's some audio cues that happen, uh, to kind of intensify everything. And we had this tripping mechanic where, you know, the more scared you were, the more you would tend to trip and stumble. And that was, um, you know, a, a very delicate mechanic because it was very frustrating in the beginning when we first built it. So, you know, you're running around and then you had this thing kind of constantly taking control of your character. So we had to figure out how do we give that effect but not make it as annoying. So um, so there were some levers to kind of pull there and, and you know, dial balance back and forth um, on that end. But it just, you know, in the beginning it just wasn't great to be a counselor because uh, Jason was just so overpowered. But then we kind of got the counselors feeling right, but then it wasn't fun to be Jason. So we had to figure out how to kind of just go back and forth. And it was really just a lot of playtesting. I mean, you know, iteration is key in games. Playtesting is key. So we kind of went through that process and, and playtested a lot and, you know, always kind of took feedback. There was, uh, we brought in some people early on and had them play the game and kind of got feedback from them. And, you know, the initial reaction is everyone really loved the game, so that was great. But once, you know, they spent a little more time with it, we're able to kind of identify the problems. Um, but, yeah, and even today, though, I think we're still kind of uh, potentially swinging the pendulum because, well, you know, there'll be some really good ideas and thoughts that the community brings up and then just things that we've sat with for a while during our play test. And, you know, we'll kind of alter some numbers, and then sometimes that goes out and people are like, oh, no, like, you know, now Jason isn't fun to play or, you know, and, and, you know, now he's too overpowered and a lot more fun to play, but it's too hard to be a counselor. So it always is a bit of um, kind of massaging to make it right. And, you know, for the most part, I think we're, we find a good balance between the two, but, you know, I think everyone kind of has their own opinions and sometimes even our opinions change the longer we kind of sit with the game. So it is kind of interesting. I mean, I wouldn't tell you like we, we have it exactly right, but um, but you know, for the most part, I mean, there's a lot that goes into what makes it, uh, you know, kind of fun as it is now. So. Well, and I think it's really interesting. I mean, you bring up a great point in the idea of massaging this game and being able to tweak things and alter things. It points to a very different landscape today than games just ten years ago, where once a game shipped, that was pretty much it. Right. You didn't really have the opportunity to create a lot of patches or updates. And so uh, 
you know, if you if you created a game that that had some mechanic that apparently just uh, just displeased players, then you were kind of stuck with it. But now you're in a world where if there's good parts and bad parts. One thing is that you can go back in and you can take in this feedback and you can make adjustments to the game and thus uh, hopefully create a a better experience for players so that they're having more fun or or you're adding in elements so that the game is constantly fresh for players. But of course the flip side of that is that you are you are fostering a game much longer. You know, it's not that it ships out the door and you immediately turn to the next thing. So is that is that something that is like, I assume it's very different from your perspective, from a player's perspective. I love having a game where I, I'm constantly getting uh, tweaks and updates and it, it is refreshing the game. And it makes me it makes me want to play it again because I want to see what the new experience is like. I'm not sure what it's like on your side of the equation, though. Yeah, no, it's, I, I mean, I would say, um, you know, to be honest, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, I think, um, we're, you know, we were a small team that worked on this. We're a small company and, um, you know, there was a certain amount of people internally that were on this project. And, um, you know, so being a small team, it's, it's tough to, um, continue to roll out content. And, you know, uh, luckily with the success of the game, we've been able to grow, but, you know, when we're kind of getting towards launch, it's like, okay, well, we know we're going to need to keep working on this and we're going to get feedback from the community and we're, you know, we're, uh, you know, guns, like five people, they're getting a little bigger now, but, uh, and I think we had about, you know, 20 people on the game as well internally here. So we weren't like with a big publisher where they could have hundreds of, of people they could throw at it and you get all these different studios and, um, you know, people at the publishing company to kind of give a lot of feedback and kind of help with certain areas. So, you know, we kind of knew that we were throwing this thing out there and we'd get some feedback, but we were committed to supporting that. So it is, it is awesome from our standpoint because it's like we got to launch the game. People liked it. I mean, obviously there was issues when it launched, um, but for the most part, people really liked it. They had a lot of fun. We knew, uh, you know, moving forward that we would kind of fix and address these issues and, constantly spend time updating, adding new content into it, but it was a bit of a growing process for us as well. Um, and really it's just, it's, it's interesting because, um, I started before this actually in the music industry and it was nice because when you finish an album, you know, there's so much work you put into it and then you kind of, you, you know, it goes off to like mastering and then, you know, the artist has to then kind of take it from there and promote it, but we were more behind the scenes so we could just say, Oh, okay, we're, we're done. That's awesome. We could go to sleep at night. It's either going to sell well, it maybe, you know, is a hit or maybe not. And then it's kind of on to the next thing. But, you know, with this kind of being a game as a service, we're constantly updating it, constantly thinking about it. You know, there's some nights where you can't sleep uh, just due to some issues you might run into or issues that end up out there. And then there's other times where you can't sleep because you're like, how do I make this even, even more better? Um, you know, how do I keep refining it? So, you know, so like I said, I think it's, uh, it's been a big learning experience for us and the team. And it's, you know, we've been, um, kind of getting into the groove now of really kind of supporting it and turning around content and patches and updates and all that. But, you know, it's something that we had to really work into. And we kind of, as a company had, had to learn to work that way. And we brought on some really talented, uh, uh, developers, um, here at Elphonic that actually, had experience with that at other companies. So 
that are able to kind of help us uh, shift our company towards that direction. Um, but even before then, I mean, I would say like even our early games or uh, work for hire games we did, you know, there still were um, online multiplayer games, so they were still updated and kind of, uh, you know, moved through, but nothing really to this level. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, a learning experience, but it but it's great. I mean, it's it allows you, you know, if the game wasn't that successful, it kind of allows us to, you know, support it still until the community kind of eventually starts dying down. Um, but in this case, it kind of allows us to support it a lot longer and put a lot of things in there that originally were like, this would be great to have, but, you know, it's not in the budget or the scope at the time. So I think that's what's cool is we get to really always kind of put those ideas that, um, you know, games in the past would kind of leave on the cutting room floor. Right. And and that kind of leads us into, you've talked about community and there's clearly a, a, a very uh, vocal and an active community in the Friday the 13th, Definitely. the game. I mean, I, like I said, I've watched lots of Let's Plays in this as well, as well as playing the game. I, I was one of the backers of Friday the 13th, full, full disclosure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so you guys had a, a very successful crowdfunding campaign, uh, which I assume was very gratifying because it showed that there were players out there who were feeling just as strongly about this concept of uh, of really diving into this world of, of classic slasher horror kind of uh, fiction and bringing it into a, 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 you know, a playable experience. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, the, you know, how that, how that worked when you did the crowdfunding and sort of the feedback you got? And I assume that was pretty energizing to the group to see that kind of level of enthusiasm before you, you even had a game to ship. Yeah, no, it was really awesome because I think, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into, you know, making a Kickstarter and, or doing Kickstarter and just, you know, all the videos and all the content we have to make to keep people engaged and to really have them buy into our vision. It's like, you know, we all have it in our heads, but how do we show a community of people of that? So, um, so we were really, you know, really nervous going into it. We're like, oh, is this, are people going to gravitate towards this? I mean, you know, luckily we had, uh, Friday the 13th and the franchise behind us, but it's really tricky because we just didn't know. Um, we felt like people would be into this and we, as much as we were, but we just didn't know. So when a lot of people, you know, started kind of coming out and saying, Hey, this is great. This is exactly what we're looking for and really supporting us and backing us. I mean, it was, it was an amazing feeling, but it was a, it was a crazy, um, you know, month kind of 30 day roller coaster ride of, of trying to make sure, you know, I mean, we had a an initial plan, and then I think, you know, after we launched probably three or four days into it, um, we still kind of executed on that plan, but there was a lot more we started doing because I think that's when we started building a community. There became a lot of questions, and, you know, people wanted to understand how the game played more and what things were going to look like and how it was going to run and work and all that. And so I think it, um, you know, it it was pretty crazy, but I, I think it became very, I, I guess, um, a lot more work than we figured it would be because we wanted to try to answer all those questions and um, continue to show people what we're building. Obviously, we knew that would help the, the crowdfunding, but we also wanted to just have fans really buy into the vision. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Um, really cool. I mean, it, it, 
you know, but also at the same time, it was a ton of work and, and like Randy and those guys have gotten all really put so much into it um, as well. I mean, they just kind of really stayed on top of everything and, and made sure that everything was kind of running smoothly and that people were getting their questions answered and all that stuff. So it was a, uh, it was a cool experience. I, ima- I imagine some of those questions even led to developing things that you had not initially considered because in my experience, uh, you know, you have a brainstorming group, you get people together, you start coming up with ideas, then you start to put those into some form of structure and you move on from there. And then you you think you've got a pretty good idea of what you have from beginning to end. You've you know, it's maybe not complete, but you gotta you gotta you're fairly confident. And then you open it up and right. people start asking questions and they're asking things that you, you're like, wow, I really, I really should have thought of that. And I totally didn't. And that's yeah. a legitimate point. Yeah. Or we didn't think enough about that. Right. You know, cause maybe that won't work that we thought would work so well, but yeah, I think, you know, once we got the ideas out there, I mean, it was kind of tricky though, because anything you would say sometimes could be taken as gospel essentially. So mm. we would, you know, someone, would throw out an idea and maybe we weren't communicating to each other. And then all of a sudden we noticed that that idea would really stick in the community. So it's, you know, I think that's why games for so long have been kind of developed in this uh, very closed, I guess, dark environment where, you know, you don't even really hear about it. And then maybe a year or two years on some of these big AAA projects before they come out, they might announce it, but they're careful with what they show. And, you know, everyone starts having ideas and kind of questions and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think because we were so open with what we were trying to build, you know, you would throw out an idea and it would be something that we might have just talked about briefly, but we didn't bet it yet. And everyone would gravitate towards that. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe this is a great idea. And now we have to figure out how to make it work. So it's definitely a different way of developing. Um, I would say, I mean, it's, it, but I think it, it was for the better, right? I think it allowed us to kind of talk about things early on that um, maybe we we were understanding, like, oh, people don't really understand what we're trying to go for here. Maybe it's a com- too of, uh, complex of a mechanic. You know, how do we make it simpler? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, there was a lot of – there was one point where we felt no one was going to understand how to play this game, um, how to play as Jason, how to play as counselors, and – what the missions and objectives were for. So we started going into this, like, okay, we need way more UI so people can understand this stuff. And, you know, we need way more feedback on things. And I think there were some parts where we started going a little too overboard um, in hand-holding, and then there was parts where it needed, it kind of just made the, the perfect balance of someone seeing a mechanic, getting some visual feedback, and understanding what it was. So we were pretty surprised when we did the beta that people were able to just, kind of pick it up and play for the most part. Um, but it was kind of interesting because, you know, we didn't know if that would happen or not, but at the end of the day, we're kind of putting people in a bit of real life, you know, survival kind of instinct areas, I guess. So it, it did work out well. Yeah, it's, the, it's the sort of game that kind of rewards uh, some experimentation as well, where, you know, if you, if you're, casting about a little bit, you might discover a strategy that works that you would not have necessarily thought of. Uh, but at the same time, it's not like 
It's a game where you jump in and uh, you can pick up absolutely everything and you have no idea which thing is relevant and which one isn't. Uh, I've played those style games too, which are, you know, it's very immersive to be in a world where your character can manipulate practically anything in the environment. But then at that point, you start asking yourself, oh, but is, is this, does this matter that I can do this? Or is this just a cool gimmick that's distracting me? And, uh, so the, it's nice to see balance there too. I appreciate a game where, where you can more easily hone in on what's really important, especially if you happen to have a seven foot tall behemoth with a machete bearing down on you at the time. It, <laughs> snap decisions are pretty important in that case. So let's talk a little bit. So what are some of the challenges that you did encounter in the development of this game? You know, we talked about how uh, obviously the balance was something and, and figuring out, you know, how to communicate with the community, uh, almost a collaborative process with the community in some respects. Uh, but but uh, obviously this was this was a pretty ambitious project. And, and as you mentioned, it was a, a relatively modest team, a small team, not a talented one, but a small one. Uh, so what are some of the challenges you encountered throughout the development process? Oh, wow. I think, I mean, to be honest, I think we bumped our heads every which way. I mean, I could probably, <laughs> I could probably go on this topic, um, for a while, but no, I think, you know, anytime you're creating some, something new and, and different, there's, you know, and especially in games in general, you're pretty much encountering issues daily, right? And I think, you know, some of it would, um, would be, I don't know, as big as when, you know, when we launched, our technology wasn't really able to scale. Uh, we built a lot of this stuff internally, and we never had a game that was this successful. So we we would, um, you know, on day one, we came off the beta and basically said, oh, okay, well, we had maybe, I don't know, 5,000 concurrent players or something on the beta. So let's, you know, if we get four or five times that, we'll be good. Um, but I think we had, oh, let's see, probably... 20 times that, so we weren't really um, in day one, so we really weren't ready for that, and, you know, we didn't have enough servers up, and it didn't scale properly, so I mean, that was that was a big one. Um, you know, some of the, the uh, technology and just that we used in, um, you know, console development in general is uh, pretty difficult, and being a small team working across three platforms is another big challenge as well but um even just gameplay getting things right it would always be you know okay um you know do we have players play more inside houses like how do we draw more into house uh like i think the gameplay styles changed a lot like in the beginning i think ilphonic had a lot of ideas for it being more of an outdoor game where i think gun felt it should be more of an indoor game um because they wanted a lot more of those uh like survival horror elements of like hiding and, and barricading and, you know, using the cabins as, as cover and all that kind of stuff um, from Jason. But I think we had a kind of a different um, maybe style of play mm-hmm. in, in our head. So a lot of it was kind of coming together between both teams to say, you know, okay, we get what you want here. This is kind of what we're thinking here. And, you know, we kind of meet in the middle. And I think um, – and then sometimes – it would even swing more towards, uh, you know, one team's suggestions versus another. But I think we were, 
you know, very aligned on what we wanted, and there was a lot of communication. I mean, there was daily talks, you know, uh, like I, we were in so many meetings with this game because I think a lot of things kind of swung back and forth. But another thing that was challenging, too, is, you know, what features really need to go in there. And after a while, we just felt early on like, okay, well, this is a fun game, but it, it's starting to lose its fun, so we need to give the players a bit more things to do. Um, and at first, we never were going to have the car drivable. Um, it was just going to be, you know, you get the car parts and kind of put them on the car, and, you know, you, you end up um, getting in. There's like a cut scene or something, and then you escape. Um, but we felt after kind of testing a lot that that would happen pretty quickly. Um, and then, you know, I think God and those guys over there basically suggested, hey, what do you guys think about a drivable car? And we were kind of terrified because we were like, well, we don't really have the time for that right now. And those are, you know, that's a whole new element to the game. So the car was really challenging. But I think we all kind of said, you know, it could be a little bit janky because, um, you know, we think it's going to bring enough moments to the table that if the car does have some problems here or there, we just kind of try to figure out how to solve those. But we knew we were kind of opening up and biting off a lot. So, you know, it forced us to kind of, work a bunch of late hours, but I think we were all passionate about the idea because we knew it would make it better. And I think we got the car in pretty quickly in a rough state. But, you know, most games, when you look at, like, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto or even, like, a, um, you know, some of the other racing games out there, it's all very track-based. There's areas where the cars can and cannot go. You can take them a bit off-road, but for the most part, the games are built for vehicles, whereas this, it wasn't really from the beginning built for vehicles so we're like okay well what happens if they start driving the car off into the forest or hit big rock boulders and all this kind of stuff so we tried to really um <laughs> like contain the car a little bit more the road so that would make it easier for gameplay but at the same time it could really go anywhere the player wanted to go but i think that was something that you know turned the game around to be really fun and add this extra element, I think went really well for for streaming and all that kind of stuff. Even the voiceover IP end was was um, kind of an idea that came up at one point and said, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if you know you could hear each other talk with proximity, so counselors could talk to each other?" And then that kind of went to the walkie-talkie uh, idea. You know, we wanted it where it's like, "Oh, Jason could kind of yell at people, or you know, you could have people as Jason running after stuff, you know, after them saying stuff to them." So. We thought that would add an important element, but that was very challenging because we didn't really have, you know, the engine um, has very basic voice over IP, and not all platforms uh, supported the ability to kind of take the voice over IP and put it in the 3D space. So um, that was a big challenge, but once we thought it was a good idea and kind of prototyped it out, we had to have it, and, you know, we did whatever it took to make it happen. So did your team did your team actually uh develop the various uh versions for each of the platforms so PC, Xbox and PS4? We actually ended up doing um all three platforms. We used Unreal Engine 4 which had um you know a lot of that stuff already in there. So it allowed us to kind of develop one game and then um, go to the other platforms and kind of hit all the certification standards. So, I mean, there was still a ton of work, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think um, we did it very quick as far as supporting all three platforms. So that was a, a really big challenge because uh, 
we're also, you know, we worked on an Xbox One and a PlayStation 4 game before, but not a game where we um, had to take it kind of from A to C, you know, start to finish by ourselves as a group. So there was a lot of areas that we kind of learned and, you know, bumped our heads on. And, and uh, But for the most part, I mean, there was a lot that is there already from Unreal Engine 4, but you still have to kind of do all the user-facing stuff on your own. And, and there's a lot of work there, and there's a lot of work that goes into just, you know, making sure that when you unplug a controller or something like that, that it displays the right message and the messaging is different between the different platforms uh, by different standards and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the reason why I was asking is because, uh, you know, obviously there are a lot of companies out there that will develop a game for a specific platform and then they end up using, you know, a, a third party to go and port that over to other platforms. So to have this this one tight team working on building a game, you know, really building the game for the most part once, but then having to make those adjustments for the various platforms, that is not a trivial problem. That's that's a lot of work. And I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about that when they're looking at a game that's across multiple platforms. Not nece- They don't necessarily know that in many cases that's been worked on by different companies, not let alone different teams. So I think it's just very impressive to see a single group tackle all of that. It's a very ambitious kind of approach. Uh, and uh, so when you talk about some of these challenges and bumping your head and things, uh, I mean, you, you guys were tackling really a big, big challenge. You're talking about a beloved property. So there's a high level of expectation among the, the, the potential audience there. You're talking about uh, a, a fairly rel- a relatively fast turnaround. I mean, as I understand it, uh, summer camp was, you know, you got started on that somewhere around 2015. And, you know, there's some games out there that have infamously long development cycles. So that's pretty fast. And you had a, a relatively small team. So uh, while you ran into a lot of challenges along the way, and the launch was rough, and the scaling was a was an issue, you know, when you know the whole story, when you know what was going on behind the scenes, you start to see like, well, it's, it was a monumental <laughs> undertaking, really, when you get down to it. So uh, I certainly appreciate that. That's one of those things that when you learn more about how the industry works and you see this particular approach, uh, you get a greater appreciation for the, the work you guys were facing on a day-to-day basis. One other thing I wanted to talk about, really, and this is something that my my producer Ramsey really wanted me to talk about, too, is uh, just – how how much this feels like Friday the 13th. And in large part, that's due to the involvement of people who were in who were part of the Friday the 13th film franchise as well. You mentioned uh, Harry Manfredini, who, who made the music for Friday the 13th, and he worked on the music for the game, he did the composing for the game. And, you know, Savini, who did effects, working on design for the game. And, of course, Kane Hodder, who played Jason Voorhees in various uh, chapters of Friday the 13th, doing motion capture for the game. What was it like working with people who actually created the stuff that you're trying to emulate in a video game format? Yeah, I mean, that was that was amazing. I mean, because I think... 
Um, you know, and I don't know, you know, like licensed IP games tend to kind of get a bad rep because, you know, they, uh, they don't necessarily go through all the details. And I think that's something that that really brought to the table was, you know, even just the, when we shot the Kickstarter uh, video at Sean Cunningham's house, it's like we all got to just sit around a table while people were doing interviews or, you know, or whatever the cameras were setting up and all that kind of stuff. And we just got to kind of talk about, um, you know, oh, hey, so in like, you know, where did this come from or like what was this idea based on? I mean, I think there's a lot more thinking that goes into this kind of stuff, I think, where, you know, I mean, these are people that these are their stories. They kind of created them. They helped tell these stories. They were around when it was shot. They were next to the writers. They were next to the actors. And, you know, I think some of it just kind of happens to just fall together naturally and they don't, you know, overthink it too much. But then, um, you know, I think later on down the line, they start thinking about a lot of things like, oh, so, you know, just different references to different parts of the films and if they're going to bring something back or, you know, what was the intention of making this part? So having access to those kind of guys and, and you know, and having Kane, for example, just tell us, like, how you would get in the character and how, you know, why he moved the way he did in, in the films as Jason and, um, you know, what his kind of uh, stint as Jason's, like, brought to the table, along with him kind of knowing all the other guys that played Jason, whether it was through convention or whatever else, um, he was able to kind of understand, like, what their body types was like, body language. So there's a lot of details there and just being close with those guys and those guys just kind of living this for a number of years, um, you know, 20 plus years or whatever. It's, they were able to um, really like, they knew a lot of, a lot of answers to questions we had. I mean, I think uh, like Ronnie and Wes were kind of the Friday 13th Bible. I mean, there was, times where they knew more than I think some of the guys that actually worked on it or created it uh, did. And and I think that's why they work really well, because they're able to throw out a lot of that stuff when we were talking, and they kind of got all these guys' blessing to um, really, like, either fill in blanks or kind of continue moving forward with certain things. And so I think that that's what was really important between that relationship. But, I mean, it just helped us really study the films and, and everything like that. So we're able to, I don't know, really nail down kind of what the feel was like. I mean, there was a day when we kind of sat around and just talked about color all day. And it, I think having to be a conversation Wes had with uh, maybe it was, uh, Tom Savini or, or Sean Cunningham. But at one point um, they were just talking about like, oh, you know, the cinematographer, like we would put, you know, this kind of paint on the walls to uh, indicate certain things. So I think it just, really translated well into the game because we would just kind of talk about how they shot it, how they filmed it, you know, what kind of film it was shot on, like how we would get that kind of effect and, and really go for the cinematic look and feel. But I think, you know, bringing Kane into it and bringing Harry into it, I mean, and Tom, it really just kind of added that extra element of now we got the movement, we got the feel, the mocap, everything is coming from the people that originally did this. And I like also, uh, you know, we didn't really mention this earlier, but in the game, there are different versions of Jason Voorhees based upon the different 
film films because obviously his look changes from some films to another. Sometimes it's a dramatic change. Sometimes it's more subtle. Uh, his preference for weapons can change. And of course, the iconic kills can change. So in the game, there are iconic kills you can, uh, you can do as Jason against the counselors. And, uh, they depend upon which Jason, Jason you're using. Uh, I, my own personal favorite for reasons of nostalgia is that you created a, a, a Friday the 13th NES version of Jason <laughs> for the game. Oh, yeah. So you get your purple Jason. Uh, if people are not familiar, there was a Nintendo Entertainment System Friday the 13th game. Uh, that was a very odd take on Jason Voorhees. And I love that that was a, that was a, a, a character that you could play in your game. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty awesome. I mean, we, you know, we, we actually call it, uh, retro Jason. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think the, the, uh, you know, for obvious reasons there, but, but we, um, yeah, it, it was one that we were all like so strong about here. Um, but I think it was even, early on something we kind of did and you know like i think in a debug format we would have like a lot of purple jasons running around before we had the model all finished and stuff so it was only kind of natural that we would kind of get that finished up and, and release it out to the wild but yeah i mean that was something as as a kid i i totally well i guess i don't i you know i would say i remember it well i don't remember the exact game i mean we kind of went back and watched YouTube videos and stuff, but I definitely remember playing that game and, you know, Nintendo games are always super hard <laughs> yeah. back in the day. So Yeah. <laughs> no, if you think if you think winning as a counselor is hard in Friday the thirteenth the game, play any old school Nintendo game for five minutes and and just take a moment to appreciate <laughs> how things have changed. Um, not that the old games weren't fun. They were. They were just maddeningly difficult. Uh, so I've got a couple other more kind of goofy questions for you. One is, is there a particular like favorite detail that you have of the games? I mean, obviously it's like picking your favorite kid, but there's so much detail that goes into this, this game. Is there any particular, either an Easter egg or version of Jason or anything along those lines that you, you are particularly tickled by? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was cool with the Savini Jason, just seeing how popular that became and how everyone really wanted that Jason. I thought it was cool to watch them, you know, to watch Tom and, uh, like create that new Jason, right? Like it's like, oh wow, we're, we're kind of adding on to that. I think the same for, um, the Pamela tapes as well. I mean, that was something, um, that, that was really interesting because it kind of brought in a whole new, uh, story of, of what happened kind of previously. Um, I won't give it away too much in case people haven't listened to all of them or collected all of them, but, but it, 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 it was some new elements of the story. I mean, I don't know. I was really tied to the audio of the game because that's kind of what I worked on a lot. Like I'm a programmer as well. So I wrote a lot of like the music systems and stuff like that. So that's just kind of the area that I was always in, but I don't know. The kills are really cool to see come along. It just, I don't the, it's it's tricky. I, I don't know if I could kind of pick one one detail because there was a lot of attention to detail. I think when it um, came into the or, you know came into making this game and and that was something that that Gun did a really good job bringing to the table. There had to be all the little details because they knew 
you know, they needed to be a vocal community with the Friday 13th community. And if we didn't do it right, I mean, I think we would have to run the other direction, right? So, so they really wanted to, to hit all of that on the head. And there was a lot of times where it'd be like even just a scratch on the mask where it's like, oh, no one's going to see this. But, you know, sure enough, we would put it on there. We would think like, oh, maybe we're wasting our time and do we really need to go back and try to add this extra detail that we might have missed or something. And, um, you know, when, when that stuff came out, I mean, it was analyzed under a microscope. So we're kind of like, oh, you know, thank God we put that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, because the community noticed things like that. They noticed imperfection. There's, there's a lot of like imperfections when it kind of comes to the mask and even just like the eye holes, for example, are not symmetrical and kind of getting those right and just all the angles of that and the shape of them. I mean, there was details down to that level and it all went totally noticed by the community. So I think those were kind of, for me, probably the the touches that I felt in the game that just went a really long way that were special. Well, my last question for you is what is your favorite film in the Friday the 13th franchise? Wow. <laughs> I know, tough it's, one, right? It is It is a tough one. I mean, it. like I think when, you know, when personally I went back to kind of revisit the films when we started this game, I, it like I totally forgot Friday the, the original Friday the 13th. So I think that one was kind of special because, you know, I think growing up as a kid, like, you know, we were watching them all, but you, they just all kind of blend together. And you always remember like the hockey mask, right? And right. I think, you know, seeing, uh, seeing Sackhead and seeing, um, you know, kind of Pamela originally being the killer. I think that was, that was probably more interesting to me, but I don't know. I think I still really like part three, probably just kind of when everything started shaping up a little more Mm -hmm. maybe. So I don't know. It's, you know, there's, there's definitely like some you really love and then some that you're like, Oh, it's pretty good. But you know, I don't know. (laughs) What about you? What's your favorite one? I mean, (laughs) okay. So you're going to laugh. It's legitimately my favorite. I like Jason X. I love Jason in space. It is, it is unapologetically ridiculous, but I, it's kind of celebrating in that. And I find joy there. Um, I, I, I'm a big horror fan, so I love watching these too. And, and, you know, there've been times where the entire series has been available for streaming and I would find a day and I'd say, all right, today I'm going to work through parts one through three and tomorrow it's going to be four through six. And I would just, you know, I'd just binge because, uh, I, I really like the filmmaking approach. I love the effects. Uh, you know, I like the, the innovation when it comes to things like how are we going to top what we did in our last film and not yeah. get it in a way where it just becomes parody. Although I think you could argue Jason X kind of falls into that line, but that's kind of why I like it. Um, and also I'm friends with a guy who for a while was working on a script in development that was, uh, was going to be the next Friday the 13th film. It has since they've moved on to a different writer, but for about two years he was working on it. And to, to see it oh, from wow. that side was really cool. Uh, this would have been the one after the reboot. Uh, so not the, not the Friday the 13th reboot, but it would have been the, the next one. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so so chatting with him in Atlanta, we have a ton of uh, of people in film, and this guy's been working in movies for a while, and so uh, it was kind of cool seeing it from his perspective as well. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I but, guess my favorite Friday the Thirteenth uh, movie is the one that was never made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully hopefully one day, right? Yeah, you never know. It may end up morphing into something else or, or you, yeah, you never know. Things come around. But uh, this has been fascinating. I, I've, I, like I said, I've been following the development of the game since the crowdfunding days uh, and watching as it, as it came out. And one of the things I love about it is that uh, it has become a, a, a wealth of, uh, of content for people who live stream. It's one of those games that is frequently being live streamed either on YouTube or on Twitch or other platforms. And uh, so even if you're not uh, ready to jump in there just yet, you can watch as other people play. I have watched groups who play it together and then they'll, uh, which is great because you'll, you'll get the, the, the conversation that goes on within the room itself. If they're all playing in the same room, uh, as well as the action that's going on on screen. And those are some of my favorites because you get to, especially when people do something like uh, they happen to pick the car that only has two seats in it and there's a third person there. That's always the best. Oh, yeah. I know, right? What's going to happen? Who's going to get left behind? You know, yeah. It's fun watching a group a group of friends play it and just, you know, a group of, uh, a group, a group of good streaming friends that are kind of used to playing and streaming together. It's, there's some real special elements you kind of see from that. It's, it's pretty funny. I mean, there's just probably hours and hours of content that you could just watch that, um, that we see. And that's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's awesome. Uh, it's funny watching people get scared sometimes and just even just watching, uh, people that have played it for so long and have so many hours in it and they still have those moments of them like jumping or getting scared, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, those those. I mean, it's clearly that harkens back to the spirit of the film. So when you've got that, when you can see that happen, you can think, ah, yeah, we got that right. You got got that right. That's exactly the way you're supposed to be if you were watching this. You have that that jump scare, um, and thankfully, there's there's not like a, a thousand uh, fake jump scares with cats jumping out at you everywhere. That's that would get old really quick. Yeah. Uh, well. For sure. Chuck, thank you so much for joining the show and talking about this. Uh, I really look forward to seeing uh, how this game continues as well as your future work. I'm really curious to find out more about that further down the line. And uh, thank you again for joining Tech Stuff. Yeah, well, thanks for having us. It was, it was great talking to you. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for the support and everything. All right, that was it. That was Chuck Brungart of Ilphonic talking about Friday the 13th, the game. We are so appreciative for his time and, uh, and, and getting to talk to him about what this process was like. It's definitely something that I really was interested in from the get-go, and I think it is a really fun experience from a, a personal perspective. Uh, playing Jason is a thrill. Uh, playing a counselor is a real challenge. And if you're playing with people who know what they're doing, uh, you can actually get pretty far in this game as a counselor. It is still 
really, really hard and you'll probably die, but there's a chance you'll make it out. And so if you are interested in this game, you can always go and check out uh, YouTube videos or, or Let's Plays so that you can kind of get a feel for what the game is like. It's available on PC, uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. So it's on all the, the big consoles right now besides the Nintendo Switch. And uh, you can check that out and try it out yourself. See if you have the what it takes to be a, a killer Jason or a, a surviving counselor. Don't go in the lake if you're a counselor. Jason can move wicked fast in the water. I found that out the hard way. And if you are in a car and you see me, let me in the car, please. I, oh, I've been left behind so many times. But... Thanks again to Chuck Brungart and the team over at Ilphonic for letting us have this conversation. We really appreciate it. We rarely get a chance to actually hear the behind-the-scenes process of what it was like to create a piece of technology and release it to the world and to really get an understanding of where those challenges are and how do you overcome them. So I greatly appreciate it. Guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, maybe there's a technology you really want me to cover or a company history that you've always wanted to hear more about or a person in tech, or maybe there's just someone else you want me to interview or have on as a guest host, I need to hear from you guys. Write me an email. That email address is techstuff at HowStuffWorks.com, or you can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. Remember, on regular episodes, not interviews, but regular episodes, I do stream live, and you can watch as I record and make mistakes and cry, and Ramsey has to comfort me until I've gotten through that emotional turmoil. You can see that happen if you go to twitch.tv slash techstuff. I record Wednesdays and Fridays. The schedule is right there at twitch.tv slash techstuff. Hope to see you there, and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.